The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Bear Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is the CEO and co-founder of an organization called Gap Square. Uh, Dr. Zara Nanu is uh, joining me by phone to talk about how companies can close their wage gaps. And uh, there's a new uh, platform to do just that. And she uh, joins me by phone. Zara, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Tom. Hi, and and thank you so much for putting the spotlight on this very important issue. Well, let's talk about this a little bit because, you know, for for the longest time, whenever you heard about a wage gap, it was gender-based. But since the pandemic came along, all of a sudden, everybody is kind of looking at what senior managers make versus what the people that are doing the work are getting paid. And and now there's this, uh, this huge disparity, and a lot of people that spent time at home and, and got furloughed or laid off for some period of time, they're not going back to work. Yeah, I mean, this this, this is a actually a very interesting time for pay gaps. And if you allow me, I'm going to go a bit back, back a little bit to when I founded GAPSQUARE. Yeah, please. Because I founded GAPSQUARE about six years ago um, when the World Economic Forum was telling us we are about 217 years away from achieving pay parity. At the same time, the World Economic Forum is telling us that um, by 2030, we'll be in self-driving cars. 
the NASA is telling us that by 2030 we'll have people fly off to Mars by, and we will watch them and see them do that. So at the same time, the World Economic Forum is telling us that when all of these technological advancements happen, when we are in self-driving cars, when we're flying off to Mars, we are still going to be somehow 200 years away from achieving parity at work. And this is why this was one of the reasons I founded Gapsware, because I wanted to bring that technology, innovation, and data together to help businesses achieve that pay parity faster, be able to understand where the gaps are. Are they justifiable gaps? Are they not justifiable gaps? How they can be closed faster so that businesses can focus on what matters most, on things like attracting, retaining top talent, making talent feel valued, and, and because ultimately when talent feels valued, they will give their 100% to the company. Productivity will shoot through the roof. Businesses will only have to gain from this. Well, what's interesting about what's going on now, and, and I remember just not very long ago, uh, maybe three years ago, four years ago, in the last presidential election cycle, um, when Andrew Yang announced he was running for president and he came out with a book and he started talking about this idea of um, uh, universal basic income and his argument was that all of this technology that's coming in eventually is going to replace workers and it's going to be difficult for people you know to find jobs to do and to make a living, and, and that everything may be completely automated. And that has uh, a lot of people concerned and a lot of people frightened. Is there something we need to do to change the economy? Do, do businesses and business leaders want to have pay equity? This is, a, this is actually a very good question, and the, the, the future of jobs is putting a lot of pressure on how we decide how, how we pay for roles right now, where innovation is going to come through. And in 2020, actually, at the very beginning of the pandemic, the World Economic Forum have produced a report called The Future of Jobs, and they looked at what do jobs look like in the next five years. So it's the future of jobs all the way up to 2025. And the interesting thing for me is that they had, as part of that, a list of the top 20 jobs with increasing demand over the next five years. So these are the top 20 jobs that are going to grow a lot over the next five years. It's jobs like data analysts and scientists, AI and machine learning specialists, big data specialists, um, software and application specialists, you know, robotics, all of these high-tech roles are really on the grow and on the demand and, and high in demand. Right. And so when we, at Gasper, when we looked at these jobs, and we brought in some statistics around who is usually in these roles, we saw that these jobs are very male-dominated. So with the exception of three out of 20, these are very male-dominated roles. Currently, to the extent that jobs like data analysts and data scientists are 90% men in, in the current kind of economies. So we're looking in the, in the future of work and the future of jobs into roles that are very male-dominated, they're also highly paid jobs. Um, and interestingly enough, these are also jobs that are helping automate a lot of other jobs. 
right? Because if you talk about data analysts and data scientists and you talk about kind of robotics and engineering, these are jobs that are actively creating artificial intelligence and automating a lot of roles. On the other hand, you have top 20 jobs with decreasing demand that are likely to completely disappear over the next five years or so. And you have jobs like data entry clerks, admin and executive secretaries. You have accountants, auditors, financial analysts, postal service clerks. These are all jobs on the go. And the interesting thing is about 70% of them are women dominated right now. So they're occupied by women and they also low paid jobs. So this is creating a very interesting dynamic when it comes to the future of work. If we let things go at current rate, we, we, we're about to face in five years' time an economy that very, is very much male-dominated, that is building in more automation. So we definitely need to be more creative and more innovative with what we do when it comes to pay and what we do when it comes to skills and how we reimagine and review that future of work. More about closing the wage gap with Dr. Zara Nanu from Gap Square, straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! 
Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about closing the wage gap with Dr. Zara Nanu from Gap Square straight ahead. I've been under the impression... Zara, that a lot of the people that aren't going back to work are are women, and it it's because that for the last uh, several years, maybe even a couple of decades, women find themselves in this this real weird uh, kind of paradox where they want to work and they're professional, they're successful at their jobs. But they're also raising children, and the cost of raising children and daycare and all of the things that go into the parenting side of, of the equation, they're barely ba- breaking even. And so they, I, I've been under the impression that because of the pandemic, people, women that took time off looked at it and said, you know, it doesn't make financial sense for me to go back to work. Yeah, well, it, it is absolutely true that the pandemic has set women's labor force participation back more than 30 years. So we're now, we, we can, might as well imagine we're in the 90s. And it's it's kind of, the, the, the everything that happened in the pandemic really stalled gains made towards closing pay gaps and the layoffs we've seen and lack of childcare that, that has like been predominant have forced a lot of women out of the workforce entirely. And so to, to the extent that by February 2021, women's labor force participation was about 55%, the same rate as April 87, and particularly affecting women of color more so, and women in low-wage occupations as well. So there's a lot to unpick there, and, and the fact that also in the pandemic, a lot of the lower-paid roles in kind of in care uh, we're, we're done by women and, and the way that this has highlighted to us the way we view women's roles in the economy as a paid role but also as an unpaid role because ultimately taking care of children means you're taking care of the people who are going to be paying taxes later in, in 18 years, in 20 years time so the fact that we don't value that as a society is really raising a lot of issues for women in work 
Now, I was I was looking at uh, a statistic that came out of a, a recent study, and it it uh, was looking at uh, pay disparity, and it said ninety three percent of respondents. Now, these are you know business leaders. Um, endorsed using analytics for making pay decisions. However, 38% actually do it. And I, I couldn't help wondering when I read that number if, if there, if, and, I, and I want you to tell me a little bit about Gap Square and how that works. If, if you provide the technology to make it possible to you know, rework the numbers and and generate some some sort of equity. Um, can you come up with a platform that makes the decision makers want to? Yeah, I mean, it has <laughs> been really interesting to see that ninety three percent of of employers want to do something. And oh yeah, that's a great idea, role, but I'd so never. It, it's like, yeah, that's a great idea, but I'd never do it. <laughs> um, yes, and and I think that's also because of the many complexities around how we understand wage gaps. Because when you talk about wage inequality, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it means. Uh, and the, the misunderstanding is there because it can actually mean different things. So we can be talking about equal pay, which is when you compare the same role, you compare out like a project manager with another project manager, and that's just you're comparing two people doing a similar role. They should be paid the same. There may be differences, but you need to look into other differences justified by the fact that someone is bringing more skill, more experience, more qualification, is, is taking on more responsibility as part of that job. So that's the kind of the, what, what equal pay is. And then you also have the raw pay gap, which looks at comparing averages. So within an organization of, say, a 1,000 people, um, how does the average man compare to the average woman? And if you look at the U.S. labor force, that difference is 80 cents to the dollar. So women earn 80 cents to the dollar. And a lot of the times with this raw pay gap, the differences are there because there are less women in senior roles, as we've established before, a lot of women are leaving the economy altogether because of their child caring responsibilities. Women are more likely to be in lower paid roles that offer more flexibility. Um, so, so that kind of creates the, the wage gaps in general. But also it creates that confusion about what does it mean and, and how do we look at the data and how do you understand which factors can justify a gap and which factors aren't allowed to justify a gap. And this is why we've build a platform like GapSquare so that we can really take the complexities out of pay, pay inequity and help businesses understand what pay gaps are in very simple business terms that help them focus on then like t things that matter most of it. The platform that you helped develop and in, in, um, that you co-founded, is it primarily designed to balance the the pay inequity between men and women or does it also have a component that considers haves and have nots? So what what we've done with Gap Square initially we started by looking at gender because it was simple and, and it was an easy way for us to start. The reason we started on gender is also because a lot of legislation was coming in around the world 
making it mandatory for companies to start looking at gender pay gaps. So we had legislation in the UK, in France, little bits of legislation coming in in states like California, Colorado, New York, Illinois. And so we started by looking at gender, but pretty quickly realized that gender is not a standalone indicator. And you also have other indicators like race, like disability, like LGBTQ, and we wanted to make sure that we give employers the possibility to understand each one of these characteristics so that they can compare, for instance, white employees to people of color, uh, but also so that they can look at intersectionality and understand differences across different characteristics like what is the difference for a woman of color? What if it is a difference for um, you know, an Asian woman or a Hispanic woman, so that they can look at all of these indicators together to take better decisions around pay and to understand where exactly the challenges are. Why is it that they have less women in senior leadership roles? Why is it that they have less women of color in certain types of occupations, but more Asian women, so that they can get a better view of the organization and then take better decisions around their workforce. Uh, who in the in the various companies um, decides to engage this sort of approach to developing payroll? So that's an interesting one. In the survey that we did, we saw that a lot of the companies attribute pay gaps to kind of the, the management, senior management of the organization. And they, the, the fact that a lot of the times they take individual pay decisions around pay, uh, around making offers to new employees without taking into account the existing context within their business. So if they are to employ, say, a project manager, they tend to take decisions around how to make that offer, oftentimes without looking at how much do other project managers already earn within their business. Maybe it's easy to understand how many, how much they earn within your department, but sometimes people don't look at outside the department. So when they have a company average for, for say, project managers of 90 to 100K, but they make an offer to someone of 120, that creates a big gap. And so then every year as you have a new appraisal happen, that gap becomes higher and higher to the extent that it's starting to create problems, it's starting to create challenges. People find out about these gaps, then they they obviously they want those gaps remediated or they want to go somewhere else where they're more likely to feel more valued and, and get more money for the work that they do. So it, it, they come at different levels, but management definitely has a key role to play in, in creating better practice around pay equality. How how do you go about convincing? Um, you know, I'm trying I'm trying to give uh, everybody the benefit of the doubt here, Zara, and imagine that there's there's a manager who's in a position to set you know various pay scales for different positions, uh, different uh, job descriptions and resumes company wide, and he's trying to figure out ways to save the company money and and add to the bottom line and he's not really a scrooge or an ogre but he's going to try and get the best employee for the least amount of money he can 
Of course, when it comes to his own compensation, he's going to want to be one of the highest paid in his field. How do you talk to somebody like that? How do you get them to realize the value in treating people better and creating more pay equity um, for, for morale and productivity and all of those things you mentioned earlier? Yeah, I mean, this is a very interesting question. And luckily, we're seeing a lot of businesses starting to realize that already, especially because you've mentioned already the great resignation as a result of the pandemic. People are actually stepping out of their jobs so they can take a minute to think. Think about who are they working for? Why are they working for this company? Who do they want to work for for the next 5, 10, 15 years? Um, I was just looking at some Gartner research the other day about people in the tech sector leaving the most. So you have the technology sector has been really impacted by the pandemic. And I was expecting to say that people are leaving because of pay. Uh, people are leaving because of pay, but it's only the second reason they're leaving the tech sector. The first reason is that people want to go and work for a business that makes impact, a business that makes social impact and develops software and technology and develops products and services that focus on doing good for the world, um, and also companies that represent that good for the world within their own internal values. And they show that by how they're being transparent about pay, how they do pay equity, how they encourage work-life balance, how they really want to support their employees to grow and thrive. And, and for this particular tech sector, 61% were wanting to leave so that they can go and work for a more socially minded business. That's a big percent, percentage of the workforce. And because all of this is happening, you then have the organization starting to engage more stakeholders to look at pay inequity so that it's not just a reward and compensation manager or the HR manager, it's actually a group, a team. And we see that with GapSquare when we talk to large businesses it's oftentimes not just the reward manager. You have someone from the senior leadership team. You have the CHRO. You have the reward and compensation manager. You have someone from the diversity and inclusion team, and you even have the employee engagement team really want to be part of this conversation so that they can all input into how they're going to measure pay equity and how they're going to create more equity going forward. You know, when you talk about pay equity and wage gaps, um, wage gaps, of course, very specifically about the dollars you get for providing a certain level of service and productivity to a company. But what about what about pay equity? Is is that where you can begin to think about how how much people feel rewarded by the work they do? apart from salary? Absolutely. So the way we've always thought about the wage gap is as being able to identify symptoms of something. So pay inequity really allows you to identify where the gaps are in policy. So, for instance, policies around career progression, policies around parental leave, policies around child care, policies around how you recruit someone into the business. So wage gaps really can point you in the direction of those policies. Wage gaps also point into the direction of company culture. What is the culture like? Is it 
is it inclusive? Do people, when, when you bring diverse talent on board, does that talent feel included? Does it feel part of the organization? Or is it likely to actually leave fairly quickly because it doesn't feel included and doesn't feel welcome and, and part of the business? And hearing employee voices and adding those to any conversation around wage gaps is very important. And it's a two-way, always a two-way way street. We've seen through um, a lot of research around the communication of wage gaps to em- wage gaps to employees that people who aren't communicated wage gaps. So if if a company doesn't talk about its wage gaps with employees, employees tend to think the gaps are higher than they actually are. They always are likely more likely to assume that there's something to be hidden if it's not transparent and if it's not part of everyday conversation and it's not part of leadership conversation. Whereas companies that talk more actively and proactively about wage gaps, even if the gaps are higher, employees feel better about it because they feel included in the conversation, they feel part of this conversation. So wage gaps are important. Addressing those wage gaps with dollar pounds, like with dollars, is important. But also looking into where those wage gaps are coming from is, is even more important. And we've, I, I'll bring an example here of Salesforce where a few years ago Mark Benioff did the first wage gap study across Salesforce and found out that they had, they had a gap to cover. And I think they needed $3 million to cover the gap that was across the business. And they've covered those gaps. Everyone was happy. And then a year later when they did another pay XD analysis again, they needed another million dollars to cover that gap again because they haven't addressed policies that were causing those gaps. Within those 12 months, the gaps accrued again. So it's about utilizing that wage data to go back and create change in policy and in culture. Now, how does a platform uh, empower a, a company to do this work better? So, yeah, I, that's a very interesting question and something we've been working on for about six years because we wanted to make it, we wanted to develop a platform that makes things easy. Ultimately, a business a business will have objectives around growth, around new markets, around growing new talent, and we wanted to make sure that we create a simple platform that really automates that equality so that businesses can focus on the right things and they can focus on the talent, they can focus on people feel included and, and feel like they belong to the organization rather than continuously having to fight these gaps that keep on appearing. So we utilize platforms and data and tech for everything else we do in life. We utilize that. For instance, in, in business development, we utilize Salesforce or other tools. We utilize marketing tools to track customer engagements with websites, with podcasts. So we wanted to bring that use of platform and of data into the HR space so that we can help businesses create that pay equality. Now, I, w- I was just thinking about some some old movies from the 50s and 60s when people were first starting to think about and talk about computers and applications for everyday life and there, there were these these fun stories about some efficiency expert coming in and computerizing a business, and and the computer goes runs amok and and fires everybody in the company or something. Um, but do you do you imagine in the work that you're doing, Zara, 
a time when AI can be built into the annual review process and actually um, develop a, a salary structure throughout a company that that is fair and balanced? I think that that's a that's a million dollar question, and I think that if done right, we could get to that point. But it's all about doing it right, and and AI can be a tricky thing when it comes to diversity and inclusion and bias. Uh, we we may all remember the case with Amazon, where a few years ago they've tasked a, a group they tasked a group of about ten twelve uh, data scientists in Edinburgh in Scotland to develop an algorithm that utilizes AI to identify and help find the top engineers in the world so that Amazon can recruit them. And everyone was very excited. They've created this algorithm. The, the, the algorithm was looking on LinkedIn and CVs and everywhere, finding those top engineers until at one point they realized that the AI has learned to discriminate against women. And it's learned to discriminate against women because it was reviewing all of their CVs of everyone who's been successful in an engineering role at Amazon, and then a lot of them were men. So the computer has assumed that someone needs to be a man, that needs to be from an Ivy League university, that needs to have specific characteristics in order to be a successful engineer at Amazon. So as with anything else in AI, there are dangers around just applying it blindly to the data that we currently have so that it, so that it can help us solve some problems in the future. Because but the Problems with current data is that it is biased. If you if you look at companies around the world, you're more likely to see uh, more men in senior leadership roles and more women in lower paid roles. And it's really easy for for us to train artificial intelligence models that that's the norm. That's amazing that the machine actually developed a bias. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's. I mean, machines are only as good as the data and, and the things that we teach it. And as humans, we have bias, and we just inherently apply that bias to what we do. Well, my guest is Dr. Zara Nanu, who is the CEO and co-founder of GapSquare, um, which is a uh, new platform that provides data analytics to take the complexity out of pay equity and wage gaps. And, I, you know, I... Zara, I, I, I think we did okay, <laughs> and I appreciate you taking this time to talk with me and the, uh, and the listeners about this, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and about Gap Square and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? Yeah, absolutely. So the website for us is gapsquare.com slash lead the change or feel free to find me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to have conversations with people around how we can create a more fair future of work. And thanks again for putting the spotlight on this issue. It's very important that we all start having conversations about this. We can't wait 200 years for pay equity because we don't have those 200 years. Well, Zara, thanks and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom, for your time. All right. Bye-bye. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. 
It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMagno. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Flip Flip Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. 
Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov ag for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Now, class, today, today we're going to talk about Cleopatra, Queen of the Nile. (laughs) Now, I know how you've all heard how she was a beautiful woman. Well, now, she wasn't a beautiful woman. She wasn't a beautiful woman at all. I mean, she is all right. (laughs) But she wasn't beautiful. Now, you're going to ask me if she wasn't beautiful. How come Julius Caesar and Mark Anthony and everybody went so crazy over? Well, you'll have to remember that Julius Caesar and Mark Anthony were soldiers and overseas. (laughs) (laughs) Now, now how, how Julius Caesar met her, how Julius Caesar met her, he used to go down to Egypt every 4th of July. See, and he was down there spending the holidays, and he was, he was just set, sitting around in his tent one night by himself, lonely, reading prescriptions. <laughs> and she come walking in, and he was so struck by her that he just got up and gave her his seat. And he says, he says, he says, ars mutatis longa vita mutandis brevis. And that means, as sure as a vine twines around the stump, you are my darling sugar lump. (laughs) Even in high school, he is good at verses. And anyhow, they got to fooling around after supper, and he asked her to marry him. 
and they did. They got married, and he took her on back to Rome, and, and everybody got mad at him for marrying her. The senators there in Rome, they finally got so mad at him that they killed him. They caught him in an alley one night and stabbed him right in his toga. <laughs> and that's when, when Caesar said that famous line, just as he was dying, that famous line you might remember, he said to Brutus, he says, et tu, Brute? And Brutus says, yeah, me too. Now, it happened, it happened, there was this fellow, Mark Anthony, that was living there at that time, and he was an old army buddy of Julius Caesar's, and he was a pretty big man with the civil service. <laughs> now, he killed all the senators, and it happened, you know, to get revenge, and it happened that he was going to go down to Egypt anyhow, and while he was there, he thought he'd just stop in on Cleopatra. And he told her how he had killed all the senators, and she said how much she appreciated it. And they got to liking one another, and first thing you know, there's dating. <laughs> there was. There, there's riding around on camels and sailing around on her barge and fooling around back of the pyramid. <laughs> Fact, <clears throat> I appreciate it. Somebody wrote on one of the pyramid walls, Anthony loves Cleopatra. <laughs> it was right next to where somebody else wrote, Pharaoh was here. <laughs> and and, and everything, everything was going good for him. Everything was going real good. But Mark Anthony had a wife in Rome and she wouldn't give him a divorce. <laughs> and it happened that her brother had just been elected emperor of Rome. And he come in one day and he says, sister, he says, you know what I'm going to do? She says, what? He says, I'm going down there and declare war on Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. And she says, would you? <laughs> and he did. He went down there and was just a whooping the fire out of him. There's dead Egyptians laying everywhere. Streets was full, tombs was full. And he run all over Egypt looking for somebody to, to run him through with his sword. And, and everybody looked, like, looked at him like he was a nut and he was peculiar. <laughs> Couldn't find anybody to do it, so he run himself through and he expired. <laughs> and, and Cleopatra, she heard of it and she had this snake, just a little old bitty thing, but poison. And that thing bit her and her maid run in, her handmaiden, and says, mistress, mistress, what happened? And she says, snake bite. And she says, well, what you do? You cut it where it bit you and suck it. <laughs> she says, no, I meant to. And she says, why, old mistress, why? And she says, in articulo mortis. Now that's that famous saying. In articulo mortis. And children, I hope all of you remember what that means. Cause I certainly don't. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Oh
and that's a fact. Come on, pretty lady, tell me what you gonna do. I need something more than maybe, something more than a blue. You've had our love a long time, and the it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed our guests, including uh, Dr. Zara Nanu, the CEO and co-founder of Gap Square, talking about closing wage gaps in uh, various companies around the country, talking about the uh, hashtag PACE process for early career success, the new book by uh, Core Access Consulting founder and CEO Mark Zides. And we started out this morning with a uh, delightful conversation with attorney, author, mother, uh, Cindy Campbell, and her book, Legal Things Parents Should Know, with occasional wit and sarcasm. 
Anyway, we're going to have some more uh, conversation about work and the workplace as we uh, push the show back into a new normal and uh, everything else that goes along with that. But that's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories, letting me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program, and I hope you will be too. In the meantime, good night, everybody. is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.